1: died for us. That's the heart of the gospel. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus is perfect. He didn't need to die, but he did to pay the punishment for my sin. It's God's love for me that makes a way into heaven. God, from Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Again, whether reality or parable, Jesus has a way with words, doesn't he? He's helping us understand the distinction in life. And some of us go out in the world today and we see those same distinctions. We see the haves and the have-nots. We see those that seem to have it easy and those that seem to face difficulty at every turn. And that continues even in death. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. We see the distinction even in death. Because for the poor man, let me just tell you what would have happened. Somebody would have taken that beggar's body and they would have thrown it onto that burning fire in the Valley of Gehenna because he obviously didn't have family. He didn't have people who were taking care of him and he would have been treated in death in that same way. But there's a simple truth here that you don't want to miss. Even though on this side of heaven he fell alone, in death God's army picked him up and gave gave him an escort into the place of God's presence. For the rich man, it was a little different. There would have been five brothers who were mourning his death. He would have been wrapped in the nicest clothing, just as he was when he was alive. He probably had the best casket that money could buy. And there would have been a lot of pomp and circumstance at his ceremony. And then there would have been a parade that ushered them to the tomb in which he was buried. It would seem like this man who had it all died with it all. But then we have verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And I, I need you to understand that most of the people that you come in contact in this world believe exactly what Abraham told that rich man he had believed. That if you just live a good life and you get everything you can, make it, make it the best you want it to be, everything will turn out okay. And yet you'll come to the end and realize that's just not the way it works. Your eternal home is not dependent upon what you do or what you have or who your name is. But now Lazarus is comforted here and you're in anguish. Besides all this. Between us, there's a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and and none may cross from there to us. So we, we have this principle that's taught right there in the words of Jesus about eternity that probably there will be those in heaven that wish they could go and bring others to be with them. There will be those in hell that will do everything within their power to get to the other side, but it's simply not possible because of the great separation. Remember, that's what sin does. It separates us from the holy God. Verse 27. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now just think about what did he mean, they have Moses and the prophet? They had the scriptures. Hey, this is just a reminder. You have the word of God. We're without excuse, the Bible says in the book of Romans. But he said to him, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Hey, hey it's just a reminder, because some of you, you're praying for your one, or there are people in your life. And I, I don't, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, but I've just heard this. Over 30 years of ministry, there are people that you think, oh, there's nothing that would get them unless Jesus himself came back. You're, you're misunderstanding how this happens. The power is not in you. The power is not in your method. Just like the power is not in a preacher or in his preaching. The power is in the Holy Spirit of God who calls men and women, boys and girls, to come to himself, convicts of sins, and changes them just as miraculously as a dead man coming to life. That's the hope of the gospel. And so Abraham straightens himself out and says, hey, they've got the Word of God. If they're not listening to the Word of God, it doesn't matter what they see. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to graduate Sunday school. You don't have to go to evangelism training. You just have to be obedient to tell the story of God from His Word. And He does the heavy lifting. He does the hard work. Well, let me straighten something out before we wrap this up. He says that the rich man was in Hades. Is that just another name for hell? Well, the truth is, like a lot of scripture, you're going to find that there are differing views on, on how to unravel all of this end times understanding. But let me tell you what is pretty much accepted that was believed by these New Testament Christians, the one who would have first read these words of Jesus. It was the idea that everyone's first Post life experience is kind of a temporary state, not a purgatory. Listen carefully. But a temporary state. When I was at the border last week, we visited one of the processing centers. And when illegal immigrants come into the country and they're surrendering themselves usually to border patrol, the border patrol takes them, caravans them to a processing center. And the first thing they do in that processing center is make sure there's no medical needs. They make sure they've got the information they can from them. A lot of them come carrying a birth certificate or some kind of legal information. Uh, They make sure they're fed. They do DNA testing on many of them now to see if they have a criminal past record. All of that takes place in a processing cell. Kind of like if you really messed up and you got arrested by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, you would go down to the county jail. But if what you were arrested for was a federal crime, that's not your final destination. You're going to be taken to another place. So New Testament Christ followers believed that whether you were a Christ follower or, or whether you were one who would rejected Jesus, your eternity would begin in this intermediate state. And part of that help is, is better understood when we understand that we are both body and soul. Right? Your body is what's sitting in that seat. Your body is decaying. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Your body's wasting away. And I've got terrible news. It does not get any better than this. (laughs) Regardless of your age, just take it to the bank. It don't get any better than this. It's downhill. Even when you die, guess what happens? If those who love you did not cremate you, they put your body into a casket, and just what's going to happen to it? It's going to decay. That's the process. That's why the Bible calls this in 2 Corinthians 5, your earth tent. It's a temporary home. You are not a body, but you are a soul. Your soul goes on for eternity. You are a soul, and you have a body. So N.T. Wright said early Christians held firmly to the two-step belief about the future. First, death and whatever lies immediately beyond. And second, a new bodily experience in a newly remade world. So why this intermediate state? What are we waiting on? We're waiting on what we believe Scripture teaches as the return of Christ. One day Jesus is coming back. And we're waiting on those resurrected bodies. Now this is important because some of you have never heard this. You've heard you're going to get a resurrected body in heaven. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But I believe the Bible teaches you also get a resurrected body in hell. You have a body because you're going to feel that torment. Christ followers immediately experience the presence of God. I believe this. Whether what I've just described is fully the way it happens, or, or whether we get there and go, well, this was a little different. Here's what we know. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you breathe that last breath, you immediately enter into the presence of God. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me, be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Luke 23, 43 says, he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was talking to the thief on the cross. By the way, that was a, bedside, a deathbed conversion, wasn't it? Because all you got to do is trust the grace of God. You don't, you don't do anything yourself. In the same way, unrepentant souls immediately experience the punishment of God. So that's what this, this teaches us. If you follow Jesus, you're immediately in the presence of God. If you don't choose to follow Jesus, you immediately begin what is your forever destination, which is punishment. So whatever happens immediately when we breathe our last, it's a foretaste of what forever will look like. And Jesus used three words to describe it. Being in torment. That word being intentionally means that it's something that is taking place, but it's a continuing action. Being in torment. So can we just take a minute and talk about what that torment looks like? It's not fun. First, I want you to see that hell is a place of spiritual suffering. It's spiritual torment. What is spiritual suffering? Well, what does sin do? Remember back from the garden, what does sin do? It separates us from God. So spiritual torment is the understanding that I'm permanently separated from God. You're going to see, just as the rich man in this story, I've come, in, I've come to a realization now there is a God. But yet I've figured out I am permanently separated from him. I have no opportunity to be in his presence. And that leads to spiritual suffering. I begin to think about what could have been. I begin to think about all the times someone tried to share with me the good news of Jesus Christ. But hell is also a place of physical suffering. We know this because the Bible says in Matthew 8 there's weeping in what? gnashing of teeth. The, the Bible is not being symbolic when it says there's going to be pain. When it, when it talks about fire, and I believe it's talking about liber, literal fire that is never quenched, that, that never goes out. There's pain, and there's no aspirin, there's no Tylenol, there's no morphine, there's no codeine. Revelation fourteen eleven says, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night some of you live in pain on this side of heaven I think that's one of the hardest things of the human existence to live in physical or mental pain but some of you do and for some of you if you can get to sleep you're looking for that every day because you know that those few hours that you get to sleep you're not as focused on your pain there's no sleep in hell that's why Dante in the inferno would say abandon every hope all who enter here Hell is a place of mental suffering. I know this because Abraham looked at the rich man and he said, Hey, remember. Remember what you had? Remember what he had? You got yours then? He's getting his now. Hey, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you remember some bad choices you've made in life. Yeah, me too. Guess what? You're going to be thinking about that for all eternity if you spend time in hell. Jesus talked about this torment in Mark 9. Just listen to a few of these verses. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And, and by the way, the verses in between these verses and some of your translations add uh, verse 44, for example, that says, Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Then it says, verse 45 If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And then it adds, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But verse 47 says, if your eye cuts you, causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And there it says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I want you to look at that phrase, where their worm does not die. Notice two things. First of all, it's not worms. That's interesting to me. I would not be surprised if it said worms. Because we know, again, our body is decaying. And what happens? We know that these terrible little things begin to feed on us. They feed on dead carcass. If you don't believe that, that that's what maggots do, then just pull over next time you see a dead possum on the side of the road and see what he's up to. Make sure he's dead, by the way. <laughs> Maybe it should be one of those squirrels that lost that game of crossing the road. But it doesn't say worms, it said worm. And notice what it says, it says their worm. That's weird, we have personalized worms? What is he talking about? I, I believe he's talking about that mental anguish. I believe he's talking about that memory, that conscious. So you've got all eternity to think about those things that you thought about that never satisfied on this side of heaven. So if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, and you're looking for that next high just to take away what you're feeling right now, you're going to have that same feeling for eternity and yet never get a drink. If you've lived in the lust of the flesh, and you've looked for that sexual experience or some kind of self-aggrandizement to give you that feeling of escape, you're going to have those same desires for all eternity and never have that thirst quenched. If you've lived your life thinking that your satisfaction is found accumulating things, all you're going to be able to think about is that you're there with nothing. And you'll add nothing to your pile. In hell, you're plagued by your past, even in the pain of the presence. And it goes on forever. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Hell's a place of relational suffering. Did you catch how he cries out to Abraham? Father Abraham, man, just... Just send Lazarus down here just to give me a, just a drop of water. I, I think he wanted Lazarus company as much as he wanted a drop of water. A drop of water is not going to take away the thirstiness. Then he's thinking about his brothers. You know what happens in hell? It's a place of utter loneliness. I come in contact with people that say, I guess it's okay if I go to hell because all my friends will be there. No! Not according to Scripture. Please understand this. You're not surrounded in a big party. And hell is eternal suffering, it goes on forever. But according to this story, there are some good things in hell. And that's what I want to close with. Can I just give them to you? What are the good things in hell? First of all, there's good people in hell. You need to understand this. Please hear this. Hell is not just filled with bad people. Hell will be full of good people who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe in... I believe in the story that that's what Jesus is referring to because this rich man... Jesus points to the Pharisees as he's telling the story. I think he's describing them. He was probably a religious man. He'd probably done well. But Jesus was trying to make the point that you can never do good enough to earn or deserve your way into heaven. That's why the Bible teaches, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of your works. Because if you would, if it were of your works, you just go around saying, look at me. And that's what we see in a lot of religious people that don't seem to get it. Jesus taught us this when he said, hey, there will be those in that day who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. And to those deacons and to those preachers and to those worship leaders and to those church members, those Sunday school teachers, he'll say, no. You have to depart because I don't think you ever really knew me. There'll be good people in hell. There'll be good intentions in hell. Some people outright reject the truth of God. But I don't think that's the case with most people you'll come in contact with. They're thinking they'll have another day They're thinking there'll be another time. They'll think there's another opportunity. It wasn't their intention to spend forever separated from God. You've heard it said before, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are even good prayers in hell. The rich man prays, right? Now, to be honest, he prays to Abraham, which... Abraham was the father of faith, so we're not going to condemn him for that. But we we don't pray to anyone but God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we don't pray to other spiritual leaders. You don't pray to a pastor or a priest. It's not biblical. Just hear me, regardless of how you've been taught. It's not biblical to pray to Mary. That's not what we do. But he was praying. So what was he praying? Do you see what he prayed? Somebody shouted out. What did he pray? Lord, have mercy on me. You know what's crazy? If he'd have prayed that when he was alive, he would have not been in hell. Because that's how simple it is. You've got to cry out to God, recognizing your sinfulness, begging for his mercy, receiving his grace and forgiveness, submitting the control of your life to him. That's a good prayer. And I want you to understand that no matter what you one day confess with your lips if you have not professed Jesus as Lord of your life on this side of eternity it will be too late. The only way to escape hell it won't be then. The only way to escape hell is to do it now. Last Sunday evening I was meeting with our deacons and near the end of our meeting I looked up at my phone and I had a text from my dear sweet friend Priscilla Reed. And and she said, Paul, I, I just need you to know that my sweet Paul is now with Jesus face to face. And I was shocked. Priscilla is very ill. She's facing difficult battle and Paul had just begun a battle. He'd just been diagnosed with cancer but I had just been with him days before. He seemed so strong and, and yet here's the reality of life. We don't determine the day or the hour or the minute. Don't you wait another day. Do whatever it takes to make sure you're not on that highway to hell. And here's the good news. You don't have to do anything but surrender your life to what Jesus has already done.